Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded over half a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. In today's episode, episode 189, we talk to children's book author Inga Simpson on her latest book, The Book of Australian Trees. Trees tell stories about places, and Australia has some of the tallest, the oldest, the fattest, and the most unusual trees in the world. The Book of Australian Trees, while aimed at children, is also something that adults will appreciate. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. Okay, Inga, thank you for taking your time to talk with Australian Hiker. Oh, hi, Tim. Uh, Good to talk to you. All right. Now, before we talk about your latest book, give us a brief introduction to yourself. Yeah, I grew up on a property in central west New South Wales and had a whole kind of career in government before as a professional writer and researcher before switching to creative writing in my my mid-30s. And I've ended up on the far south coast of New South Wales and the the creative writing gig worked out okay. This is my fifth book, uh, but my first book for children, yeah. So would you consider yourself an outdoorsy person or a hiker at all? Absolutely. Um, I'm considered a nature writer because I focus so much on the the natural world and in a way it's strange that I've chosen writing as a career because I would much rather be outside yeah moving over the landscape and I'm a pretty keen photographer too so always looking for a new place to explore and and take pictures and uh, at the end of May I got I just got back from the the Larapinta Trail. I did the whole end-to-end with Trek Larapinta, which was, yeah, got to be one of the highlights of my life, actually. It was fantastic. No, it's definitely a good trail and definitely uh, uh, has given you some ideas for another book. Uh, yes, but I don't know what form. I mean, <laughs> definitely another book about Australian trees. I think it would be lovely to do one on desert trees. They're just such remarkable, you know, adaptive, tough trees uh, and so specific to their landscape so you know this book focuses on you know 12 of the 15 of the more sort of charismatic trees across the countryside but I think it'd be nice to look at the specific trees within a particular landscape and how that those ecosystems work and interact Um, yeah the desert oak yeah really captured my imagination actually you know spends the first half of its life kind of looking like a bit of a gonk tree and, um, you know, all its energy is going underground, getting down to, to water um, before then it starts transforming into quite a, a graceful, magnificent tree. Um, yeah, and the breeze through a, a desert oak across the desert is, yeah, really something. All right. So that, that then brings us on to the topic for today. And this is your latest book, which is The Book of Australian Trees. Why this book? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, in on one hand, you know, trees, that's kind of what I do, but um, writing for children was a big shift. My last book or previous book was called Understory, A Life with Trees, and that was my first work of nonfiction, uh, nature writing, I guess you'd call it, or a nature writing memoir. About 10 years I spent living in a cottage inside a forest in southeast Queensland and in all the ways that changed my life. And the book is structured like a forest. It has called understory. It has an understory, middle story, and um, canopy or overstory. And each chapter was a species of tree, um, focused on a species of tree and sort of unpacked, you know, stories around that tree and a lot of people had said oh why don't you do a version for kids or why don't you write a book for kids you write so beautifully about trees and eventually my publisher said the same thing and when I went to have a look you know my local bookstore what at what books were already out there to get a sense of you know would there be room for my version of trees and um, I found that there wasn't a kids book exclusively on Australian trees so that that settled it really I thought well that there needs to be one. Quick, smart. Do you have kids in your life at all, either your own kids or nieces and nephews or friends' kids at all? Or? Uh, friends' kids, yeah. I'm an only child, so, yeah, I don't get uh, nieces and nephews, which is a shame, but um, I was a step-parent for a time, so, um, and we read to those kids, you know, that was a big part of, of the day, you know, in the evening, settling them down and reading them kids' books, which was a great pleasure. So I discovered a whole lot of titles that, you know, had come out since my own childhood. So it did give me a sense of what what goes over well, you know, when you read a book out loud and what what kids gravitate towards. And did you, did you use any of your friends' kids as guinea pigs on this to say, what do you think? I haven't. Um, the friends close by who have... Um, a, a very young child. He's a little young to gauge his his response as yet, except to the pictures. But um, yeah, the process was such that you know I didn't see um, a finished copy of the book that I could sort of hand around and show people until it had been published. So yeah, that the, I only really had the text um, and some online graphics of the pictures, the illustrations. So yeah, it wasn't. I didn't have a pilot copy. <laughs> now, you mentioned um, in the in your talking about your background that you're a keen photographer. When you go through and, and started writing this book, did you have a batch of photos that you used to prompt you about what you were going to write about or was there – how did you decide to come up with the, the list of trees in this book? Yeah, in some cases I did use uh, some of my own photos as prompts or, you know, kind of visual research. But uh, a lot of the trees I knew, I know very well. So ironbarks I grew up with, they're kind of the signature tree of the, the Central West. So I knew them pretty well. And where I live now on the South Coast, spotted gums and old man banksias, you know, are right outside my window uh, and casuarinas too. So I probably didn't need to do that much. But, yeah, some of the others back from Queensland days, the Antarctic beach and so on, I did did go back to my photos of those and, and, you know, remembering those walks that I've done on the um, in the southeast of Queensland 
on and the scenic rim and so on. So, yeah, it was quite fun to relive the walks, actually. Um, it's one of the reasons I like taking photos. You know, you can drop yourself back into that that story, uh, that landscape pretty quickly. Okay, that's good. Now, you're the author of the book, uh, but there is actually an illustrator. Uh, now, what, what's the relationship between author and illustrator? Do you, do you write the text first or do you get the images and, and then sort of um, put your text to that or is it a bit of both? Yeah, in this case, the, the text came first and then we chose an illustrator and she really just responded to my words. Um, she came up with – and so Lisa Rogerson is the illustrator and she's in WA, so in the COVID context, we have not even met yet. <laughs> um, but she came up with an initial concept and sort of storyboarded the book, so um, sort of sketching out what – illustrations would be with what text, with what tree species. And I had sort of suggested a mix of illustrations, so some focusing in on, you know, some of the detail of particular trees and some trying to capture the whole tree. Um, she went with that. And, you know, some of the trees she didn't know as well. So, you know, being in WA, she hasn't seen a lot of old man banksias, so... Um, or fly, Illawarra, Illawarra flame trees. So some of those, you know, we sent through some additional photographs, not always mine either, but, you know, um, some pictures she could work off. But, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of back and forth. I, I saw a few completed illustrations early on and was really happy with those and, you know, we were happy just to let her run with the rest of it. Um, yeah, and then the final pictures came through, you know, a little bit of tinkering and um, there's a designer as well who comes in at the end within the publishing house and just lays it all out and worked with Alicia on the end papers, which are really lovely. Yeah, sort of just finalising how the final format and how, how it would all look. So, yeah, not as collaborative as you might think perhaps. You know, I would have liked a bit, a bit more back and forth, but um, that was just the process for this one. But yeah, if we if we do more together, maybe yeah, there'll be a bit, a bit more of that um, back and forth, and and hopefully meeting in person. I did just receive in the post yesterday. Um, I purchased one of the the original illustrations from Alicia, and, and it arrived in the post yesterday, and it's just stunning. You know, the original paintings, which are, are acrylic on watercolor paper. I'm not sure of the reason for that, but they they look beautiful. Yeah, so I can't wait to have it framed. Well, that, that sort of brings me to my next comment here. Um, I'm a part of the older generation, and I'm not quite as old as this this question may may say, but <laughs> these this book reminds me of um, books that we had in the house from May Gibbs, uh, you know, and the big bad Banksy man and, and things like that. And it's it the styling, you know, whether it was deliberate or not, it it that's what just it evoked that sort of memory in me. Was was that deliberate or just just the way it ended up being? Well, I'm a child of the 70s, um, so I think, you know, perhaps I somehow in my own text um, sort of reverted to my childhood books, you know, and May Gibbs was certainly um, prominent among those. And, yeah, so maybe that was just a natural style for me. And I'm not sure about Alicia. She's quite a bit younger than me, I think. But certainly in the, the cover design really captures that 
nostalgic feel, doesn't it? It's it, it, really, does. it does. Yeah, harks back to that period. So whether they picked that up from my text or that was just the designer's take on it, you know, it was similar to your own response, just thinking May Gibbs and children's Australian children's books, you know, of, of a couple of decades ago, yeah, several decades ago. I think the other thing with this book as well, you just look at the front cover of the book and it it, it just says this is an Australian book, you know, ignoring the, the fact that there's Australian plants on the front of it, but it just, said, it just seems to say I'm Australian. You know, there's, there's no confusing that this is a book from the US or the UK at all. So that's, I find that quite interesting. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have necessarily picked that they would do that with a cover, but I quite like that they have. And it sort of it touches on that tradition of kids' books too, of, you know, the big book of this and the, the great book of that. You know, there's the book of Australian trees. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure there'll be more. But, yeah, I guess it, it stands out. It's clear what it is. And certainly, yeah, it's been doing quite well, getting a lot of attention. So, yeah, I think it was a good good design choice for the cover perhaps yeah just uh you know the people who buy books are grandparents and parents aren't they so it's sort of ticking the boxes the nostalgia box or the you know the childhood box for um for the people who will actually buy the book i guess too i haven't actually thought of that yeah now from your perspective what makes a book that kids and for that matter adults love to read I'm pretty keen on beautiful sentences. You know, I, I think you can – I can read about a book about anything if the sentences are beautiful, if it flows really easily, if it's easy to read and, yeah, just a touch of beauty about it. I think, you know, whether it's a startling image or an idea you mightn't have thought of, you know, bringing something to life in the imagination of the reader, that's really my job as I see it. Um, yeah, books for kids, I think – what works well is a you know for younger kids some repetition some rhyme a lot of alliteration which i use anyway in my description of nature and i guess for slightly older kids which i thought of too with this book you know information that's interesting the biggest tree the fattest tree the tallest tree the oldest tree those sort of um key facts that kids you know um, particularly boys really like to have and, and to quote at the dinner table and so on. So that that's why I chose some of the more charismatic species for for this one. And I think kids too will be inclined to agree with me that, uh, you know, I still have that, that sense of wonder about the natural world, which children seem to have naturally that, to see trees as individuals, you know, characters, um, to imagine them having personalities and and lives of their own. So it was appealing to that, the sense of wonder and imagination that uh, kids have. That brings us on to our next question. Um, in the book, in the introduction, you talk about, uh, you're saying that trees are unique, a bit like people. Uh, and I, I must admit, I strongly agree with this, that, with this statement. What's your connection to trees and nature? What's so special about nature for you? Yeah, it's just where I feel at home um, and attuned with, you know, myself and the broader world, I guess. Um, you know, I grew up in a property, so sort of fairly pastoral landscape, but there was a, a wilder part that used to be, you know, gold mining kind of area. So relatively hilly and rocky and pretty densely treed, and that's where I hung out as a kid. 
and went camping from a pretty young age on my own, just roamed there. And, I mean, it was real, of course, a real Australian landscape that I was home in, but it was also a place where my imagination flourished, you know, where I could imagine little world, sort of fairy worlds or miniature worlds in the, the ferns and fungi and, um, you know, whole stories around rocks and boulders and old gold mines and that sort of thing. So it was a place where reality and my imagination came together. Um, yeah, these days just to go walking in a forest, um, particularly among trees, is just, yeah, I think, it might be that there's a lot more oxygen among trees that I can breathe better, but it's also a place where I can breathe more metaphorically away from the the sort of more man-made world, all the signs of civilization, the busyness of that. So it's a, a quiet place where I feel a bit more in tune with the planet. Um, and, yeah, as I mentioned, I do love my photography, so images of the natural world, um, something I love sort of playing with and just the physicality I think of moving over the landscape uh, among trees I just find quite meditative I think yeah all right speaking of images that brings us back to uh, um, uh, a question of do you have a favorite image or tree in this book and that that, that I'm, I'm guessing that may be prompted you mentioned you bought a uh, one of the original watercolors. <laughs> is that the same same one, or is it? Uh, uh, it know? is. Yeah. I mean, I had my I had first pick, but um, the the initial illustration of the Antarctic beach, sort of just after the end papers, um, is the one I bought. And yeah, absolutely my favourite. It's sort of you can see it really captures the age and complexity of the Antarctic beach and the sense that there's a whole world in every tree or every kind of grove of trees, you know, a bit very much in tune with children's picture books, I think. You know, you could imagine a, you know, a bit like the magic faraway tree or one of those classics in this beautiful Australian tree. And the Antarctic beach is pretty symbolic for me too because, yeah, they date back to Gondwanan times and um, very recently in the bushfires a lot of Gondwanan rainforest burned for the very first time. So there's an environmental message in the book too. You know, it's difficult to write about trees without being concerned for their future and, and for the habitats that for other so many other species that they provide. But, yeah, I found that very hard to take that, um, rainforest trees, of course, can't recover from fire. They can't just come back. So knowing that there are trees around, and like the Antarctic beach, that perhaps even have genetic material dating back to that time because they kind of coppice themselves, sort of regrow from the same root material. Uh, the idea that a tree has been around that long and then, you know, we might lose those trees on our watch, I find, yeah, very um upsetting i guess and yeah it's a good a good note of warning that we need to we need to do more to um manage climate change and and to protect these precious trees okay now one final question this book is obviously aimed at children but who really should read this book <laughs> everyone <laughs> uh one of my friends at the local market asked me or well, who's it for what age group and i said well three to infinity 
So, yeah, I'm very much hoping that parents will enjoy it too and that it'll prompt some conversations between children and their parents or children and their grandparents or aunties or uncles or, or whatever adults in their lives. And I guess anyone interested in Australian trees, there's probably information there that a lot of adults don't know um, or have forgotten, you know, and some fun references too. I mean, Jimmy Barnes gets a reference. So there's that some of that cultural interplay between our native trees and the way that's fed into our literature and our music and our everyday lives. Okay, so we've been talking with Inga Simpson on her latest book, The Book of Australian Trees. Inga, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Tim. Thank you so much. That was a really interesting interview with Inga Simpson about her book, The Book of Australian Trees. Um, I just loved the way in which... Uh, she talked about the trees, and um, when you read the the book, it's a really it's quite factual, um, but it's told in a very accessible and interesting way. So it, it's there's a bit of a story and a bit of a narrative. And she did mention that uh, when she was talking about the you know the reference to Jimmy Barnes and uh, how. It uh, was there's a little bit of nostalgia in there about uh, books of old. So you know, Tim, you were talking about the May Gibbs books, and it, and it definitely has that look and feel and kind of narrative about it as well. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I, I looked at this book, and just from the front cover, um, I, I I'm, I'm not as old as it may seem. Oh, you but, are. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the May Gibbs books that we had in our house from. Uh, from my older siblings uh, and even from my parents' days, they were just they were just beautiful books, and and just looking at the front cover of this book, and Jill mentioned to me before we started uh, did this segment of the uh, the podcast, it just had that tactile sort of feel. Yeah. It just had this look of, of this is an old old Australian type of book, yeah. Uh, yeah and it, as, as I mentioned during the interview as well, it just it just felt like it was an Australian book. It, it wasn't just a, you know, a book from the US or Canada or, or the UK. You know, it just said this is Australian. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, the other thing I said was that, um, you know, while it's a, a, it's a book for children and children of all ages, um, it, it's actually quite a nice coffee table sort of book and I think lots of adults would get a lot of value um, out of summing through the pages and, um, reading some of the text and you know taking in the images. I think certainly uh, you know in that coffee table uh, type of book, it does focus on the iconic trees. Uh, you know you've got the um, the old man banks here, you've got the iron bark, you've got the river red gum. So you know if you can think of an iconic tree from your area, you know the Morton Bay fig. Yeah, there's there's a batch of trees there that most people would know many of the trees, and certainly the ones in their in their more common uh, area that tend to be dominant. Yeah, and the illustrations are, are quite beautiful, and um, the the one that I like most is the the red iron bark Eucalyptus fibrosa, and it's the the image is just um, you know you can almost feel you can almost feel the the sort of roughness and the and the texture um of the bark in that image 
I mean, certainly from my perspective, there are a lot of really nice images in there. I mean, my two favourites were probably the uh, uh, the iron bark, uh, which I, I've always loved that tree. I've loved the flowers. I love the dark, uh, very hard-looking bark on it. But I also liked the uh, the Antarctic beach, which uh, Inga mentioned as being her favourite tree as well. Yeah, it's quite beautiful, and she was probably quite lucky to get that uh, um, image Um uh, from the artist. So, um, in, as Inga said, really this book, this is a children's book, but as Jill mentioned, it's a coffee table book. It'd be a good book to give people uh, from overseas uh, as, a, as, a, as a present to sort of give them an indication of what Australian trees are like. Yeah, it's, not a, it's not a botanical, in-depth uh, sort of book, uh, although Inga does do some more uh, adult versions of these books. This, this was her first children's book. And I think she's done a really good job a job of it. Yeah, and having said that, I mean, you know, given our our background in plants, I mean, there'd be a lot of people uh, who who don't have the basics around some of these trees. So, you know, while it's not a um, you know a detailed botanical scientific based book, it it has all of that you know information in it that is accurate, that is factual told in a really accessible way. So, you know, it's it's a very easy read and you do take away quite interesting snippets about each of the trees. And I'm sure if you read it many times, then, you know, they, they would um, stay with you. The thing that I liked when she was talking was um, the way in which she wrote the book was about getting children to be, you know, talking over the dinner table um, with mum and dad or uncles and aunts or grandparents um, and just for them to, you know, pull out one or two um, interesting features um, about the book that starts a conversation. I think she was talking specifically about boys there. Uh. She was, she was, but, you know, I, you know, I guess girls do the same thing too, but yeah, boys, yeah. Yeah. Yep, thanks. <laughs> I think the thing from my perspective as well is I, I, I think about the photos I take and yeah, and certainly for when we do our hikes, I try and good, give a good indication of what the hike is like. But if I have to go through the thousands of photos I've taken over the years, the bulk of them have to do with trees and plants, uh, more so than, say, animals or the landscape mm-hmm. in general. Uh, and even the landscape in general, you're taking trees as part is forming part of that. And more specifically, bark. Yeah, we yeah. love bark. I don't know um, why. <laughs> so you know, Inga did mention that she she's into photography and teach. You know, she goes through when she goes walking and hiking. She take a lot of photos, and that's this just something I tend to do for my own personal preference rather than you know for the blog itself. And I think the other thing that stuck out for me, um, one of the themes of the book is that. You know, trees are like people. So while when you look at them at a macro level, they all appear to be the same, you start to focus in and you see all these really different, interesting features, um, even within the one stand of the same species. So, you know, it does encourage you to look a little bit closer. All right. So as part of this podcast episode, we've also gone through and done a review of the book. Uh, and the link to that will be in the show notes. Uh, so uh, I've got a few basic photos in the show notes itself. Uh, but if you go to the written version or the write-up of the uh, the book review, uh, we'll show you some of the images and the text as well, just to give you an indication of what it's like. 
I know as I go through and prepare this podcast and put it to air, um, the first print run of this book is selling very fast. Uh, and in fact, you may actually struggle to find it. Uh, and I certainly have done in some instances uh, as I'm doing this podcast, but there is a, a second print run coming out fairly shortly. Uh, so even if you can't get hold of a copy of it straight away, um, you might find them in your local store, but certainly there's there's more coming. So don't worry that it certainly will be available and it'd be a good Christmas present uh, setting, heading up towards the end of the year. <laughs> Seeing it's June. We're See, planning yeah, for Christmas yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's time, time to start Christmas shopping. <laughs> okay. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and the interview with Inga. Um, again, it's I, I really do enjoy doing these sort of interviews that while they're peripherally related to hiking, really we're walking through nature and we're seeing this sort of stuff, so it is very much squarely related to what we do. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. Bye for now. And bye from me.